Flyer here. It is Thursday, February 8, 2024. Currently beating the Jets. First intermission, 3 nothing. Woohoo. I think connecting is a Gordia hat trick. Oh, up in that trade value. <laughs> but we are exactly a month away from the trade deadline. Trade deadline is March 8th. Today is February 8th. I guess tomorrow is technically the four week mark, you know, days wise. But. Gotten plenty of stuff to talk about. Um, I guess we'll fin- conclude. Well, maybe not conclude, but get everyone up to date with the Carter Hart stuff as well, considering that's the whole gimmick of the show. Um, so we'll touch upon that and more. But first, let me introduce my co-hosts for the evening. Mike Asito is back as always. Mike, how's it going? Howdy, gentlemen. Great to be with you tonight, as always. Looking forward to it. Uh, yeah, we got a bunch of good stuff to talk about. You know, we're still away from the trade deadline, so just grinding along here. But yeah. uh, we will get through it, that's for sure. And Manny Benavides is back, as always. Manny, what's going on? Boys, salutations and greetings. And boy, this this current uh, lead-up here to the trade deadline has me thinking of the Flyers playing Family Feud. And, you know, Steve Harvey is going to say the question and uh, all five of the Flyers brain trust will be there. And Danny Breer will be the first one up because he's the captain and he's going to hit that buzzer and he's going to get a, a, an answer correct. And then it's player pass, Danny. What are you going to do with the deadline and how much are you going to do? That is the key question that we are going to zero in on, I'm sure, later on in this episode. Yeah, we'll touch upon all the trade deadline stuff, but uh, earlier in the week, the London police presser took place. Um, did not get a whole lot out of that. There was not much to it. Um, they basically confirmed all players had been charged with one count of sexual assault, except Michael McLeod, who was charged with two. Um, so, you know, that officially happened. Didn't get a whole lot more than that. Uh, the police chief did not go into a lot of details. They took questions from the press and then proceeded to not answer a single one of them uh, with any kind of legitimacy, basically under the guise that everything is still, um, you know, in court, so they can't talk about it. So why hold a press conference in the first place? But, uh, you know, considering this is the show with the lawyer and the Canadian here that we uh, did a deep dive last time we sat down and talked, um, obviously this is probably going to be a recurring thing we're going to talk about for a little while on this show, I would assume, now and again, but... Uh, with that police presser and things becoming official, um, Mike, what comes next? Well, I mean, in terms of, of the actual litigation going on right now, um, the players are probably going to be sitting in some sort of temporary housing, I imagine, um, in Ontario, um, in the London area, uh, meeting with their attorneys on probably a daily basis. Uh, for whatever motion practice is going to be going on now and preliminary hearings and all sorts of preparation going on. 
Um, I think we did get clarification since our last show that trial is not expected until around 2026, which we had kind of speculated about because that's how long things normally take, um, especially with a case of this caliber and the public interest involved. Uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, various extensions and delays and various buildups and things like that. So um, that's basically where it stands. And I know that some of the, um, I don't want to get, I guess, too into it, but Manny, you're familiar with some of the law firms that uh, are representing some of uh, the defendants up there. Uh, and it's some pretty heavy hitters, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, the 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 alleged uh, perpetrators of these crimes are uh, really lawyering up. So um, I think it's, uh, I believe it's Michael McLeod has got uh, a, a lawyer. I, I don't have it in front of me right off the top of my head, but uh, it was a, a a famous lawyer who's uh, defended uh, Ryan O'Reilly in his uh, DUI charge here in Canada and uh, got those charges, you know, whittled down. And I, I think he was, he was actually thrown out of court, was it not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And uh, he also represented Mike Richards in the whole fentanyl, you know, crossing the border yes, kind of yes, thing. Yes, drug case, yeah. And uh, and he got those whittled down quite a bit, substantially. So they've got uh, Michael McLeod in particular has got some uh, some really good representation there in guys with hockey player experience. Um, you know, and I know that uh, one of the other players as well has gotten uh, one of the Greenspan lawyers. Uh, Eddie Greenspan was a uh, very famous criminal lawyer here, defender here in uh, in Canada. And his brother was also a, a very noteworthy uh, criminal lawyer as well. Uh, Eddie has passed away, uh, but the law firm is now in the hands of, I believe it's Eddie's daughter. Um or niece. I don't know which one, but uh, obviously she's carrying the Greenspan name and uh, they're going to be going to court with that as well. So really interesting to see the uh, heavy hitters and uh, the amount of lawyering up that these uh, gentlemen are going to be doing in order to uh, defend their names in a court of law. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess one of my questions, too, on it, and we kind of teased this about a few weeks ago, is, you know, as these proceedings are going on, how public is the information going to be that's coming out here? I know that obviously things like the full identity of of the victim will not be disclosed. Uh, Perhaps if if everything does make it to trial, that does come out in the record. I don't know. But, um, you know, what's the extent of information that's going to be flowing here as as all these pretrial hearings and things, you know, move forward? I'm not sure, you know, is court going to be closed? Is there going to be I'm sure that, you know, TSN and stuff's going to still report on this. And obviously other major news outlets are going to have things on it. So I guess that's kind of all you can say, you know, at this point from the non-hockey side is just that, you know, we'll continue to pay attention to it just, you know, as a general news story. Um, but, you know, as far as the hockey stuff goes, you um, there was an announcement that was made. I think it was by some of the insiders and then Gary Bettman kind of confirmed it at the all-star break that the flyers, devils and flames uh, are going to receive salary cap relief for the players that are facing the sexual assault charges. Um, and I haven't seen anything like officially official yet, but Bettman did address it during the all-star break the other week. Um, and he did confirm that that's going to happen or has happened. Um, and you know, that's kind of a good thing for the flyers on the hockey side, um, because they're able to hopefully weaponize, so to speak, that sort of cap relief, uh, Carter Hart was making, I believe three, nine 
AAV this year. And according to cap friendly hearts contract has about 1.5 remaining for the rest of the regular season. So it's not nothing. It's not a huge amount, but you know, I think in collection with some other cap savings and cap collection that's been going on, uh, the flyers hopefully can use that to their advantage. But other than that, you know, I heard that they gave Cal Peterson hearts locker. So poof, you know, out into thin air right now. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, contracts being, you know, essentially moved off the books. Hart was moved to non-roster quite a few days ago. And like, as Mike said, we had not really, I don't think we've really gotten any official follow-up yet as far as the money coming off the books, but Hart makes 3.9 mil. He's got about 1.5 left on it. Just, uh, just shy of 1.5 mil left in real life dollars. Um, you know, with this coming to an end and only 3.9 mil cap hit. So if it has not officially happened yet, I'm sure it'll happen in the coming weeks here before the deadline actually happens. And, you know, it's not uh, not a ton of money, but for the Flyers, you know, when you're in the spot of you're not really buying, but you're not really selling either, having every dollar to your advantage to wheel and deal in whatever form that takes, it's a positive. So, you know, making the best of a bad situation are the Philadelphia Flyers, I suppose. Yeah, making uh, lemonade out of lemons isn't yeah. that great? That's, that's exactly <laughs> what the Flyers are known for. Just turning, making the best out of a bad situation. Oh yeah, oh, they yeah. want the lemonade, but they don't have any sugar. That's their problem. <laughs> <laughs> or a spoon to, yeah. to stir it up. Um, I know, I know that everyone was disappointed with the uh, the police press conference, and that there was not really uh, a whole lot of anything that was really discussed, other than the fact of. Uh, you know, the players were named and the nature of the charges uh, that were presented. Um, that's not really unexpected from me. I mean, there, I, I did see, I think, a little bit of grandstanding on the part of, you know, both the police and the, the crown attorney a little bit. Um, the crown attorney in particular made it clear that she had nothing to do with the original. Oh, yeah. She was case. throwing the other people under the bus hardcore. I had nothing to do with it. They would have succeeded if I was here the first time. And I'm just like, all right, lady. Like, <sighs> yeah. And, and and then the then the, the the police chief basically talking about video games and yeah music uh, videos are the reason why young men assault women now uh, apparently so yeah well I mean so I mean so there you go I mean you know count me in that uh, that I watch uh, you know some of those uh, you know rap videos uh, with some of these alluring uh, you know ladies uh, lady rappers but uh, you know what I I ain't doing uh, any of that other stuff that these guys are doing but I digress. Um, one thing that did definitely come out, and, and Mike, just to piggyback on what you were kind of saying before, I don't anticipate a lot of the evidence and stuff coming out. Um, from what I can gather from the articles and things that I've been reading up on the case, um, the players and their defense teams have not yet gotten the disclosure of all of the uh, evidence against them that's going to be coming up here in the in the relatively near future uh they will get everything and uh, by all accounts it is a lot of uh, information text messages phone calls uh there's a couple of videos uh, from cell phones there's uh, other players involved uh that were not the five involved um and apparently their names uh, are not going to be mentioned um, at least not until we get into the court proceeding. Uh, EM, the victim, will not, not be named. Um, so apparently there was a, like a, I think it's a motion filed. I don't know if it's common practice, but in order to encourage uh, and protect the victim uh, or the alleged victim, however you want to look at it, um, in order to testify and cooperate and uh, to minimize 
you know, any um, any of the publicity and the spectacle around the, the case. Uh, they are going to keep her name quiet. Uh, so it's going to be EM from now on. Um, and, and as far as I know, uh, basically, they said April 30 uh, is the next court date uh, where I guess the players are going to officially enter uh, their pleas in front of the judge. They've all stated that they're going to plead not guilty and that they're going to fight this thing tooth and nail. Um, we'll see if any of that changes based on the evidence that gets disclosed to their uh, legal teams. But uh, I'd anticipate that that's what is going to happen for April 30th. One quick thing. There was a defense attorney that specialized in sexual assault cases uh, who was interviewed by James Duthie on TSN. And one of the things that uh, I thought that she said that was really interesting, she answered the question about uh, whether or not these guys are going to face charges together or individually with their individual lawyers. Um, she said that uh, unless the judge agrees, it's almost certain that they are going to face charges together. They, they do not want the victim. They would see it as, um, you know, a cruel and unusual uh, mm -hmm. punishment against the victim to have to take the stand in five separate cases yeah. and to offer testimony in five different cases and to relive this thing over and over for five you know consecutive times. She's just going to be doing that against all five of these uh, uh, players in one trial. So I thought that that was interesting. And I'm, I'm glad that she answered that question because I really didn't know the answer to that myself. I see all these weirdos on Twitter that are defending the players. And the question that came to my mind, are they trying to prove that they did not do this? Or are they trying to prove that this was a consensual act? Like that's a good question. Like, did the you know are they just denying that they were never in that room and nothing happened, or is this a battle of whether it was consensual versus non-consensual? So I I don't have a ton of experience with these crimes. I had I I did sit on a couple trials when I was uh, clerking a while back, and more often than not, and I'm sure this will be the latter. Dan will be a matter of consent. Um, I would strongly doubt that they have, you know, any sort of alibis like I wasn't there that night or, you know, this is a, this is completely fabricated and made up entirely. I think there's probably too much there for that defense to fly at this point. Um, but it, it comes down to a matter of what was the extent of consent. And that is an absolutely almost impossible question to answer. Um, and, you know, the evidence that comes out on that is going to be really gut wrenching. Uh, it's going to be very explicit, uh, very detailed, um, and very disturbing, most likely. Um, so it is the latter on that, Dan. I am 99% sure that that is how the defense will will go in this case. Because I just uh, I shut down the heart countdown account, uh, but I put out a message first. I'm like, I don't want to, you know... Uh, celebrate this guy's hockey achievements anymore with the horrific nature of the crimes and there are people underneath and there's a fucking lot of replies to that one that are like well yeah, you don't know if he did it yet and i'm like well wait a second like is that what they're trying to prove like he had nothing to do with this or is this a case of they did it and they just need to know whether this was a case of gang rape yeah. or was it you know consensual yeah and then i don't know how they how they list the crimes out too like i mean there's probably some sense of complicity here when it comes to these players, you know, like was somebody, you know, encouraging or standing by the door, you know, or I don't know what, but yeah. I mean, they, I mean, the crimes are identified as just very broad base and there's probably other particulars that are, that are involved here. 
Right. So all five of these guys were are charged with sexual assault. And then Mikey McLeod got the extra charge where he was a party to the sexual or he assisted in the sexual assault to happen. So just to answer your question, Dan, it's going to be about consent. A hundred and ten percent, because in the civil suit with Hockey Canada, the complainant EM uh, said that she did have consensual sex with a player. And then the player invited other people up to the room where they all engaged in, you know, some kind of a, of a sexual act. So whether or not it was consensual or not, I think is going to be what is the key to mm-hmm. this case, whether or not they were there or not. I think it's impossible to uh, to take that course because there are videos of, you know, players holding up phones saying, hey, so you give consent that we did this, right? There was appa- apparently, from what I read, there yeah. was one taken at like 3.30 at night or in the morning, rather. And uh, there was another one at like 4.30 at night. So there's two different videos and there's voices of, you know, some of these players on that on that video. So I don't see how you can argue that they weren't there. I think it's a question of, you know, did this young woman, you know, consent to um, the sexual uh, encounter that she, you know, that that is before the court. Just figured we'd touch upon that one there. I was I was wondering about that after uh, all these weirdos. on. I mean, it's definitely a fair question, you know, for sure. These defenses can be very complicated. They're not made public. Um, it's difficult to understand that if you haven't seen it. Like I said, I've only seen a few of these trials, and it was like 12 years ago. Um, so um, that's just my very limited experience with watching it. But uh, yeah, yeah, it will it will be it will be absolutely absolutely disturbing when this gets down to the nitty gritty. Well, back to hockey sense here. <laughs> yeah. The trade deadline is coming up. Um, rumors are starting to swirl. Uh, mainly regarding four players, it seems, on the Flyers. Sean Walker, the big one. Obviously, he's more or less gone. And the other three are more interesting. Uh, Scott Lawton's name has come up. Rasmus Ristolainen's name has come up. And, of course, there's Nick Sealer, who has been hanging around as well. So those seem to be the big four uh, heading into the trade deadline because they re-signed everybody else. So it's not like they're going to trade anybody. But, you know, as far as uh, what's going on here, it seems like Walker's all but gone at this point. It's more just a matter of what they're going to get for him and what team ultimately pays the run. But... Most interesting one is Scott Lawton. You know, the center market is bad. The most recent episode that we had just put up um, the other day, uh, we talked about centers and how poor this free agent market is this year, how bad, you know, whether you go into someone like Zegras and essentially with Elias Lindholm already getting traded, the center market is pretty much non-existent at the deadline. So for the Flyers who have had Scott Lawton, he resigned on his current deal in what, 2021? You know, it was the mm-hmm. April 12, 2021 was his extension was signed. We've basically been talking about trading him since that day. Because that was the that was the yeah. deadline where he was supposed mm-hmm. to get moved to the Leafs, and then they ended up resigning him. And for a first round pick. Yeah. And then pretty Lots. much ever since. Yeah. <laughs> it has been talked about the 2023 offseason. There were some serious rumors out there regarding Scott Lawton. First round pick plus for the guy. But nope, they kept him. He's a leader. We can't trade him. And then his play has turned into just the drizzling shits this year. Borderline worthless from an on-ice perspective. Obviously still a leader, the only player wearing the A, which makes him the de facto C. We've been that fucking road before. But, uh, you know, with this market being so bad, 
and teams now desperate enough to call the Flyers on Scott Lawton. Did Danny Briere just get a saving grace here that he may still be able to salvage value from this guy because the market's so bad that they, you know, they can hold teams to pay for him. Maybe not a first-round pick like the rumors were last summer, but more than what he's worth right now. And do the Flyers now part ways with the guy even though he's still their de facto captain and leader, which is the same reason they didn't trade him eight months ago. So what do we expect uh, from Scott Lawton and the Flyers here at the deadline? Uh, that's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> Matty, you take this one first. Well, I guess to start, I'm uh, I'm on the Billy Bino website. I'm trying to do some shopping. I want to I want to buy Danny Breer something because I want Danny Breer to be a pimp. At this trade deadline, I want him to absolutely whore out the Flyers cap space. I want him to do whatever's necessary, make some trades here. I'm kind of itching for him to to, to get some action. I thought that uh, on the last show that you guys recorded with Papa, uh, Dan, Papa had a great point, which is after last year's anemic trade deadline where Chuck Fletcher basically, uh, you know, admitted that he, he's an imbecile who doesn't <laughs> know how to work a fucking phone. Um, it's the flyers do need to make a deal at this deadline. The question is, what is it going to be? How far is it going to go? Is it one? Is it going to be more than one? Um, are they going to be bringing anybody back? Like what's going to, what's going to happen here? Buying, selling. I think buying is ridiculous. I don't see how they can, honestly think that this team is going to be primed for a, a, a big time playoff run, especially when you're starting goalies up on charges uh, and not, is not going to play for you as good as Sam Merson has been. And I know he went through a bit of a funk. It's the last thing that you expect from, you know, a, a rookie goaltender essentially with Scott Lawton. It's they've got a second chance here to salvage something. And the things, the smoke and mirrors behind this is I think I could see a little gamesmanship being played played here. And do they want to trade him? I think there's teams calling to ask. What can they get for him? I know Anthony DeMarco has said that uh, two GMs that he spoke to said that a first round pick should be the ask. I don't know if I would give a first round pick if I'm a team, to be perfectly honest, but I definitely would sell him for a first round pick if that was offered. Yeah. But that being said, there's a, other people saying, you know, they're not sure if, if Lawton's going to get traded because of the intangibles and the leadership and all that. And a part of me is like, is this just to drive up the price? Is this? No, is this I think the, they actually believe that, which is the larger problem here. See, like, is this a, well, we're, it's not worth it for us to trade him for a second round pick and, you know, the leadership and all That's this. That's exactly where I yeah. see this go. And and, th- and then they're trying to get the first or is this like legit? They like really, truly don't know if they want to get rid of this guy or not, which is absurd to me. They mm-hmm. absolutely have to know one way or another right now. Are they going to sell him? Yes or no. If they're not sure, then I don't know what the hell we're doing here. You looked a gift horse in the mouth at the offseason in 2023 and said, no, we don't want to move him. And then his play sucked, and now he's just a dude. And now it just so happens that at the 2024 trade deadline, the market for centers is so dry that his value is getting inflated again because he's one of the few names available. So now Mm -hmm. that his play sucks, 
do you, I mean, you can't look a gift horse in the mouth twice, right? Like, you gotta, you gotta pull the trigger this time and sell them. Yeah, I mean, the Flyers absolutely have to. But, you know, I guess the one thing that Lawton has going for him, even though he's having a down season, even though his good seasons, I don't think are very good anyway. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, he has, he's not really a rental. He has, he has two more years left on his contract at a, fairly palatable $3 million AAV um, with no trade protection at all. So just from a contracting standpoint, that looks pretty good. Um, You know, I'm not sure with him. I mean, his numbers are down. I was reading. So in, in, in 50 games, he's only managed five goals and 20 points, which is off from his pace from last season when he posted 18 goals and 43 points in 78 games. Um, he's also averaging about three fewer minutes per game this season as compared to last. So, I mean, if a team is going to be getting him, they're not getting him for scoring numbers. I mean, I would imagine that they're not relying on him. Oh shit. Lawton is only going to give us, you know, 33 points instead of 45 points. I don't think that would be the reason that a team would really want him in the first place. Um, so, you know, I could see it. Um, I can see other teams absolutely wanting him, but I do not see other teams giving up a first round pick for him, even though the market has kind of dried up. Here's another thing about Lawton that is just freaking ridiculous. So he apparently leads the team in minor penalties this year with 17. What? And he's taken, <laughs> he's taken more penalties than he's drawn. And he has the worst differential among all the flyers forwards. Like that's about right. Yeah. That's freaking inexcusable to me. And like, how do you do that? If you're this guy, that's like a role model wonder boy example and stuff. And it's all these freaking penalties and it is infuriating. There's been multiple games this season. In fact, I can go back year after year and Lawton will have some very, very stupid penalties at inopportune times in the game. And you would think at this point in his career, he'd be over that sort of stuff, but I guess not. And I mean, hopefully that stuff stops. If another team is interested in him, they can hope that they can kind of coach that out of him to some extent. On the other hand, I doubt it. I mean, he's in his, like, what, his 11th season with the Flyers right now. So I'm not sure if you're going to teach an old dog new tricks when it comes to not taking penalties in this league. Um, but, uh, you know, if I had to say what what the market's going to bear for Lawton, I would say you're probably looking at a second-round pick. At best, yeah. At best, yeah. I think you might be able to get maybe, like, two-fourths, like, in various <laughs> years or something. You know, the 2027 draft, the 28 draft, like, some bullshit like that. I don't think you're getting a first form. And I think that it's, it's, it's just so unfortunate because these morons that have been running this team had so many bites at the Scott Lawton Apple, which we've been over time and time again, and said, no, 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 he's so great for the room. Well, the room sucked for the last however many years, and he was an integral part of it. So how great for the room was he? You know, that's one of my points with him. And that goes through all the other guys that have been here for six, seven, eight, eight, nine, even 10 years. Uh, so I don't know if they can sell that uh, to another team and get somebody to overpay, then fine. I just am not seeing his value as a first as a first round pick at the deadline. That's still the biggest fear is if they just kept him, you know, during the offseason because he's such a great leader. Why are they all of a sudden going to trade him if he's still such a great leader and they have this culture based rebuild yeah. and leadership and blah, 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 all this fucking horseshit like that stance clearly hasn't changed. Now it's just a matter of whether or not they want to bail on the guy. while he's still got some value versus trying to do it again, you know, in the offseason when it may not be the same. You know, it's just a matter of whether or not they want to take the risk and try and uh, get some assets for this guy, or whether they still see him as too valuable a leader to lose. 
I think it's more likely than not he stays with the Flyers. I think so, too. I think Walker's getting moved, and that's it. I think that is the only thing that we see on deadline day. I mean, it's hard to disagree. The only thing is, is like last year was the time to move this guy. You would have gotten rid of him at maximum, like 18 goals, 25 assists, 43 points. He's never broken 35 other than that, than that season last year. Yeah. So now he's at 20 points. He's not probably not going to get to 30. Um, or if he does, he barely gets over 30. So you trade him, and then I think that the part of the thinking behind the the value is so you get a second round pick for him. Don't the Flyers already have like you know two second round picks this year and like yes. two next year? Yeah, they have. So enough. you want so you want another second round pick? Like, yeah. gives a fuck. I know, but draft they, everybody they gotta, in the second round. They got uh, yeah, oh yeah, that's where you're gonna get your one C from. <laughs> <laughs> you get your one C. With 54th all, overall every, uh, draft 10 centers in the second round. Keep just, going until you get brain point. God damn it. <laughs> the, the, the other thing, though, is I would agree with you that I'd say Scott Lawton is more likely to stay. But there is one thing that is giving me pause. They re-signed Ryan Paling. He's like the same kind of guy. Like, why are you going to re- have redundancy on this roster? Yeah. You can never have enough guys like that. Because they love redundancy. Where have you been? (laughs) Completely right. That's what they would say. They'd say, well, you can never have enough good character guys like that. And we can put Lottie, we can play him on any line, first through fourth. He's he's our Swiss Army. Like, this is bullshit. (laughs) It's complete bullshit. But you're exactly right. They've teed this up to get rid of Scott Lawton. It's a confederacy of dunces. (laughs) Like, that's what I mean. Like, he's a center left wing. Paling's a center left wing. You signed Paling, so now he's got two-year deal. Scott Lawton's got two years left after this one. So, like, you're gonna have both these guys hanging around, or do you trade the guy that's making three million because you just signed the guy for one point nine? It's the only way that I, makes the Paling extension look good, but I don't know. Like, I this Paling thing really drove me nuts. We've been talking about this Nick Sealer fuckhead resigning. And how? What's the point of his presence? And then they go and give Ryan Paling two years at one point nine million AAV, which is for your four C is absolutely bonkers. The only way you can seemingly justify that is getting rid of Lawton. But they could afford to keep them both because there's really no financial pressure on this team at the moment. So <laughs> I don't know. Like, ugh. it's like they'll wait until next year and be like, oh well. If if Lawton is on that forty five point pace again, then his <laughs> yeah. value get up. Like just keep him forever. Make sure his value is completely dried, and then trade him at next year's deadline for like a sixth round pick or something like that. <laughs> They're gonna make him center Matt Vaymichkov when he comes over here, and he'll get fucking fifty. Fuck points, at this point, and then they'll trade him. Yeah, it's just all they do. It, it, this is just so freaking ridiculous, too, that like this is like their huge move that they're going to do. It's like yeah. they're just constantly at like the lowest end of everything. It's like, why are we talking about like significant movement? It's fucking Scott Lawton is, is the most high profile freaking trade asset that this team can muster for, for years. It's just like, come on. I mean, like. Yeah, you know, your rebuilding team and the biggest thing you can do is trade Scott Lawton for a second round pick. <laughs> Not great. 
By, by the way, an, another point that uh, he stays and you keep him, right now he's at uh, 571 NHL games, so another 29, and he'll hit the 600 milestone. Oh. Can't miss moments. Yeah, yeah, and this team is more concerned about the players' personal franchise milestones than anything else. That's all they want. Pretty so-and-so much. got his 400th assist. So-and-so played his 100th game. So-and-so got this. So who gives a fuck? I mean, oh, my God, this stuff is so overrated and so stupid. I'm so sick of it because, like, when I was a season ticket holder, that's all I saw was Jake Voracek got his 500th assist. Oh, big fucking deal. It's like <laughs> that was – yeah, you're exactly right. That's the can't-miss moment. And I'm just like I am, so, I am so tired of having to respect whatever personal milestone these players are, are achieving with the Flyers. It is meaningless to me, yeah. completely yeah. meaningless. 500 games, 600 goals. Yeah. You know, how about yeah. one Stanley Cup? That, yeah, that's one. it. That's all anybody wants. One, one. deep playoff run. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like one. First deep playoff run in 30 years. Oh, yeah. They're deep just wait. We'll get the whole entire brotherly pod squad together when Sean Couturier plays his 20th year as a flyer. Oh, I want to be at center ice when that happens. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll make it I want to fucking worry. pull the banner. I want to pull the rope and fucking hang oh my myself. In the middle of I'm going to boo. I'd boo the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie that rope so that when the, the banner gets rung, it fucking brings me up to the ceiling and yeah. fucking hangs me. I don't want to see this anymore. <laughs> Well, the other uh, two trade deadline chips, Ristolainen's name has resurfaced again. Uh, came up a few months ago and then went silent for a little while. And He did not play tonight against Winnipeg. He's sick, quote-unquote. I don't think he's been traded as of yet, but coincidental timing on that one. But, uh, you know, three years left at 5.1. You got Drysdale now on the right side. One of York or Sanheim are pretty much always playing on the right now anyway. Risto's your third guy down there. You really don't need him anymore. Um, they can get rid of him. And, you know, Anthony DeMarco, last time he was on the show, said the teams aren't thrilled with his cap hit. Like, 5.1 isn't bad, but considering the cap is still kind of flat, it's not going to go up till this year, and when it goes up, it's not going to be enough to offset a whole lot anyway um, for a little while. So, you know, do they retain money on him for three fucking years to make it happen? Or... You know, do they just sit on this one and hope that come the offseason, somebody's a little more desperate to get him? I guess that'll be the interesting story. And one thing I learned during my uh, 24-25 opening lineup prediction piece is this team has so much fucking money in dead cap. I believe if they buy out both Atkinson and Peterson, which right now I would expect, they've got nearly $15 million in dead cap space. So if they were to retain on Ristolainen, and throw in another two or three mil on that pot, it's just like, God, this mm-hmm. team, that's a lot of fucking money for a long time that they have sitting on the books here for no good reason, really. And are they even able to do it, I guess, because don't you get like the three slots or something for You have three dead uh, cap retention? slots, but I think you can buy out as many people as you want. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so like, I guess the question with Ristolainen is this, is like, let's say that the Flyers just said, look, we will eat 50% of that of that cap hit for the next three years. That's the maximum that they're allowed to do, right? Yeah. So that would be their best offer unless they incentivize it with with something else. I don't know what that would be. I mean, a team that's going to be acquiring him isn't going to want, like, I don't know what he would do. You retain uh, 50%. You're not going to give up, like, high draft picks with it. That, do, that wouldn't make any sense. So 
if that's the best offer you can make as the Flyers, what does 50% on Risto's contract actually get you? And if it's if it's nothing more than like a third round pick, then I'm not sure you do it. I don't think it, this gets done. I think that this is more pie in the sky of, you know, have have teams like asked? Sure, they're just doing their due diligence and and they just it's really competitive out there right now. And there's still too many teams that are kind of in the playoff race to, to firmly get a buyer or a seller. And I mean, there's 12 teams apparently uh, scouting the flyers uh, tonight against Winnipeg. Yeah. So they're just there to do their due diligence and like whether or not Danny Breer is going to go gung ho and start fucking firing these guys into the sun. I don't know, but Rasmus Ristolainen to me seems like a guy that, you know, would they want to get rid of him? Probably, but is he playing well? Yeah, that that's true too. I just don't think that with the cap being what it is, I don't think teams are going to be too eager to take on that salary and and that term. The problem though is teams to make that deal need the cap space now, and they don't have that. Yeah. So I can't see Ristolainen being the guy that moves. The yeah. only guys that make sense are Walker. And then, again, if you if you don't trade Bristolainen, then why the fuck are you going to keep Nick Sealer around? You shouldn't. Because he's a leader, Manny. Of course. He's a solid depth guy. What more could you want right now? Listen, I've been yelling about this Nick Sealer fucker for weeks now. And I keep Flexi. thinking, there's no way they're actually going to do it, right? And then they just oh, re-signed Ryan will. Paling. So clearly, oh, this is on the table. This is real. Like, they're going to bring him back. They're going to bring Nick Sealer back. And I'm going to lose my goddamn mind when it happens. Because there's no good reason for it. There's no good reason why we're resigning Nick Sealer right now. What is why? What why? Why? I think the chatter is. I think yes, Dan. It is more likely than not the Flyers resign Nick Sealer, and the chatter is also Travis Konechny extension stuff. You know, people are thinking yeah. to try to do that early and what that's going to look like. So those, I think those guys are on the yes, they're going to be here side. I think they're pretty much going to um, run this exact same team back next season. This is one thing that it's I, I talked close, about. Yeah. I don't remember if it was the Papa Show or sometime last week. Maybe it was with Noah. Look at it cap friendly here. They have 12 forwards under contract. Four defensemen. However, if you include Ronnie Adderd, whose deal's on one way, and Emil Andre, and re-signing Zamula, there's seven defensemen. And you got Erson Peterson already. You've got a full roster already under contract for 24-25. Yeah, so easy. You don't have to do anything. They, they could just do absolutely nothing. And stay the same. Just bring Nick Sealer back and ship Andre back to the AHL because they don't want to play their prospects. And just, there you go. There's your season. It is like, this team clearly is not good enough to be a cup contender, let alone making the playoffs. And they're going to run it back in nearly in a fucking entirety. I hate this team. And Mark Stahl, that fucker. All these assholes, I'm going to love digging through these tweets. All these shitheads that spent the months in the... He's so good, they're going to bring him in and trade him for the first round pick at the deadline. I can't wait to pull those tweets back up. <sighs> Almost like signing was yeah. a stupid idea. I mean, again, you know, the fact that they're having uh, this incredible season right now is not helping them make these decisions because it is... It is it, is giving them ammunition to justify keeping a lot of the same guys. And that's not really what you want to be doing 
during a rebuild. Um, obviously, they are against having a high draft pick, which I think is just unbelievably egregious. But then now they're also turning into we're also against turning over our roster unnecessarily. We have guys that have won here that are winning here now that are having great seasons. We want to see that through into next year. Like that's the kind of thinking and rhetoric that I expect to hear out of this team as it's moving forward. And again, I think, you know, that is bred by them just having a really good season this year. Um, are they going to win the cup? No. Are they going to make the playoffs? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but that is good enough to justify really just saying, look, we're going to give these guys another shot and keep them around. Um, if this was going down the tubes a lot more like a normal rebuild would be in year one, you would probably see more shuffling. I mean, by another franchise, the Flyers don't do that sort of stuff. But um, I just think that this is just a this is just a nightmare type of recipe for year one of a rebuild. That's just one of the one of the consequences we're seeing now is you know how do you juggle the roster? See, see, for me, that's that's the worst case scenario, because you've got a new GM and Danny Briere who has the complete and utter backing of this fan base to do basically whatever the fuck he wants. And for him to basically go back to the well of, we don't want to turn over the roster. We don't want to, we can't trade Scott Long. He's indispensable. We can't trade Nick Sealer. We're going to re-sign Ryan Paling. Okay. Owen Tippett, I get, I understand with the re-signing, but he could literally do anything to this roster and people will fall back and say, well, Danny's got a plan and you know what? It sucks, but life goes on. If for him to just do nothing and walk it back, they're going to have to do something at the deadline. Yeah. Just they'll make like defense. one trade, maybe two max, but probably one. I would say the Walker trade. Yep. Right. And it's going to be a defenseman. I think for sure, everything else is kind of up in the air and we'll see what happens. But for him to do the bare minimum is pretty disconcerting especially considering you've got uh, the real gm john tortorella has gone out like twice now and said whoa people are going to be real disappointed when some of these guys are going to be off this team come the trade deadline so if nothing happens I i think that that's worrisome because he's got no pressure on him to do anything really the team's outperforming expectations he could sit there and do nothing if he wants to I don't think that's a smart move because what you're doing is then you're basically kicking the can down the road to next season with this exact same lineup with still the same deficiencies, only minus Carter Hart. And you're still, you got other guys that are a year older, like Cam Atkinson, Sean Couturier, et cetera. And then what's the chances that this team is going to be in this position where they're third in the Metro next year. If they take a massive step back, you can only look at the leadership and the GM in the front office saying, where were you guys when moves needed to be made? You dropped the ball. You can't drop the ball here. It is a rebuild and they have to act like it is. I hope this is just posturing to get a better deal, but I really kind of am worried that uh, this is what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. I think they're going to run into a situation where I think they are opened to doing a lot of things. I will give them that. I don't think that they've totally closed it off yeah. even sure. with uh, with the good season. That said, 
I am skeptical that they're going to get what they want for a lot of these guys. I mean, they're not going to be just, you know, writing first round draft pick checks for the Flyers. Like the rest of the league is that's not going to happen here. I mean, they would be lucky to get a first rounder out of any of the of the players that we've discussed. Anybody that's even on the table right now. I mean, I don't see them getting a first round draft pick for anyone that is even remotely possible to be traded. And given that. You know, the front office pulls back and says, well, if we can't really get what we want for a lot of these guys and the team's doing well, then we're just going to let them continue for the season and we'll reevaluate in the offseason. That's that is where I think this is headed at this point. Again, I think Walker is a prime candidate, like you guys have mentioned. I I, I agree with that. Um, other than that, you know, I would be skeptical if they if they move anybody and if they do what are you getting you know some mid-round pick big fucking deal and at that point they're not doing it because they're not going to disturb the roster because they're on such a roll this year so they are stuck between a rock and a hard place because they don't want to because they don't have a real plan and they're just reacting to what the rest of the market is doing ron hextall all over again you got fan base eating out of the palm of your hand you're going to promise better things but if you're not actually improving and taking steps forward to that goal sooner or later it's going to come back and bite you right and that's i guess that's the biggest fear right now and it's something that we've been talking about as a possibility for a long time and the more we move along here and re-signing all of these guys and this roster being the same and this trade deadline looking i mean even in a best case is not going to be a whole lot you know it's just it's a lot of the same thing. This team's probably going to get run back nearly in its entirety. And if you're topping out now as a bubble team, why would I expect anything different next season with the same fucking group of players? Especially if they don't make these big-time additions that they need. You know, it's just... This is, uh... You know, they're playing well, and a lot of people are championing that, but as far as the long term goes... I'm as skeptical as I've ever been about this team and their ability to truly transition themselves into a contender. The trade deadline is going to tell us a lot. That's what makes this so interesting. Yeah. Are people going to stay? Are they going to go? Who? How many? I wrote this question down a couple days ago, and I'm glad that we're talking about the trade deadline and and what we kind of uh, expect. This front office... And we talked about how, you know, Danny Breer's got like no pressure to do. He could do whatever he wants and it doesn't matter. They've been pandering since day one. Yeah. They got this gig, Jones and Breer, the double logo, the Van Halen <laughs> goal song, you know, everything under the sun to make every to suck up to the fans. They're trying to really kiss ass. And, and show people that, oh, yeah, we want to have this connection with you. At some point, though, because we know the fans, you can't trade Scott Lawton. You can't trade Nick Sealer. He's indispensable. We need him for the playoff run. After pandering since day one to the fans, are they going to allow the pandering to continue and let that get in the way of making the hard decisions at the trade deadline. Probably. And are they going to, are they going to keep guys that they really should be moving on from? Like how, how can we trust? That's what my thing is with this trade deadline. I want to know if I can trust Danny Breer or not. Yeah. I, I've given him the year grace here. 
And you know what? All the movies that he's made have basically been under the gun. And all this stuff that always oh, a genius because he knew the Carter Hart thing. That's why he drafted goalies. No, he didn't. <laughs> if they did, they would have played Sam Erson and Felix Sonstrom, by the way, regularly at the beginning yeah. of the season regularly to gear them up towards being starters. They didn't. So forget that nonsense. That's a bunch of crap. So all of this now leads up to this deadline. And it's about, you know, what are they going to do here? Because if they're just interested in sucking up and making sure that we can't trade this guy, we can't trade this guy, we can't trade that guy, they're indispensable, the culture, the locker room and all this, then I'm, I'm I really am not interested in this. <laughs> because, because they've been sucking up this entire time. It's about the whole reason they got this job wasn't to suck up. They got this gig in the front office of the Philadelphia Flyers to make the tough decisions and to turn this team around. That's what they got this job for. And they told everybody that they had a plan and that they were going to do things the right way and continually sucking up and kissing ass to a fucking fan base that doesn't know its head from its ass most times isn't the way to go about doing it. They've got to make do and trade the guys that need to be traded for good value while they can. They missed the boat last year with Scott mm-hmm. Lawton. Are they going to miss it again this year? I don't know. I'm really eager to see what yeah. happens. I'm not what they concerned need to about do. the fan base. I'm concerned about the culture. This whole, we're building this fantastic, wonderful culture. That's what Lawton and Sealer are. They're your culture guys. One of them's your leader. One of them's your, you know, de facto, whatever the Christ Nick Sealer does. It's more like, we, you know, this is a culture-based rebuild. That's what they're trying to sell because they're not actually rebuilding, you see. They're just lying to you. But they're trying, you know, in this culture thing, these are the two players that are heavily built in the culture. Mm-hmm. Why would they mm-hmm. keep Lawton eight months ago to be your alternate captain? Because they don't actually want to give him the C for whatever fucking reason that boils down to. Mm-hmm. But... Why would you trade him now if he's still your culture guy? Especially if you're making the playoffs, you need your culture guys for the playoffs. You know, I, that that's what I'm concerned about when it deals with some of these guys. You know, if this was Joel Farabee or something and you want to trade him because he's not necessarily one of the direct culture guys, like, that's a different story. But these are the culture guys. These are the your depth, murky, grinder, blah, 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 you know, tough head. It doesn't fucking matter. Those are the ones that I'm worried about is this culture-based rebuild retaining all these random depth guys in the name of culture, even though at the end of the day, if you can sell high on Lawton or just get anything for an Exceler and not bring them back, that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, another element that we had touched upon as well that they should be doing, that any rebuilding team should be doing, is that weaponization of cap space and figuring out ways to essentially you know, take on the short term of higher value players that, that other teams have that are basically play useless. third party in any of these. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or play third party in exchange yep. for high picks or some other valuable type of young player or something in return that's going to help you maybe not today, but it's going to help you down the line. And you need to be able to look to the future and acquire assets in that fashion. And I, and they haven't done anything like that yet. I mean, there's not one move that they've done last off season or this year yet that would show that they even understand that type of mechanism and how that works for a rebuilding team. So the trade deadline is a great time to start doing that. So that's another thing I'm going to be looking for them to do is to figure out a creative way to play that third party team or play that team that takes on, you know, that bad contract that's going to expire in the next one to three years in exchange for something that's going to help you down the line. 
Um, you have to do that. If you're rebuilding, that is that is on the menu. That is one of the checkboxes that you do as a rebuilding team. Um, again, they've ignored the top of the draft. And if they're going to ignore this as well, I mean, this is not a fucking rebuild, which we have said, you know, for eight months now. Um, but this is another thing. If they're not going to do this sort of thing, this is yet another thing that shows that they're not serious about what they're doing. And if they go in to the dra- uh, the trade deadline, rather, say you get a first-round pick for Walker, maybe another second-round pick for Lawton, maybe just a random depth pick for uh, Nick Sealer, you retain salary as a third-party trade and get a second-round pick to do that, you go into the draft here pretty set like it gives them options then to wheel and deal to try and get back into maybe the top 15 picks the top 10 picks Mm -hmm. you know so even if these moves are not overly impressive now if you can garner those assets you can do some work when it comes to draft day now whether they do that that's a whole goddamn different story we're gonna get through exactly right (laughs) we gotta get through problem one here before we can solve problem two but it's stepping stone. Yeah. It's a stepping it's stone. A stepping it's stone a approach. way to build towards the future. If you garner these assets, you can work with those assets later on. Whether it be moving up in the draft or acquiring Trevor Zegras or whatever the you know case ends up being here. But you know that's how you do it. One day at a time is getting all these assets. And I don't necessarily trust them to garner as many assets as they can in the first place, which is the problem here. So. Yeah, they're not creative enough. I don't think that they're critical thinkers. I think that they and this has been, you know, the story of of this front office for the past long time, 11, 12 years, is that they only think in one for one moves. They don't think anything further than that. They say, okay, well, if we trade this player, we need this player to come back and fill this problem. But you can't always fill problems in a one for one way. And that's the thing that makes the really good GMs like the Joe Sackicks and the Eisermans and and the ones that are creating these really good teams over time is because they're able to do that stepping stone approach. They can see three or four moves in advance. They're willing to take risks. And, and those are the kind of, you know, I guess the core values that you would call a front office having in order to be successful. I don't think this front office, I don't know if they have it. The prior front offices certainly were too stupid to have that at all. They didn't evidence any of it. Um, that's what you would hope that Breer is capable of doing. Again, rookie general manager, rookie president, um, a coach that really has no experience or wherewithal to do that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, I I think we're justified to be very skeptical that he's able to actually pull that stuff off. But those are the kinds of things that they need to be doing right now. Um, and I, you know, it's going to be very frustrating when they don't. Yeah, I agree. They need to weaponize this Carter Hart cap space. They need to be a third party in other deals at the deadline and get something out of it. I think, uh, I think Elliot Friedman said it best. And I, he was talking about the Boston Bruins when he said this, and it was about good teams, figure it out. They, they, they're going to do a course of action. They figure it out later. They'll deal with the consequences after. They're not going to hold back and stop themselves from doing something and then regret it later. They're just going to do it and then figure something out. Nobody thought the Boston Bruins were going to be anything worth a shit this year. And they're looking pretty damn good. Why? They've just, they've got the room. They've got players there and they've got management that is just not afraid 
to go out and you know what? Okay, so we lost, you know, Bergeron. We're not just going to knee-jerk reaction and go and and just pick up anybody. They got a little lucky with the you know Poitras or whatever coming up uh, in in their prospect pool, and they've had guys fill in and they've had great goaltending again this year. But still, they make their luck because they don't sit around and just do nothing. They they go and do something first, and then they figure it out afterwards. They don't let it bother them. They need to figure it out and just do it and figure it out. This is a team that, by the way, with all of these overages and all these fucking payments to dead money that's against the cap, and they were dead afraid to sign Cutter Gauthier to an entry-level deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just couldn't they just couldn't do it because 925 would break the bank. Again, you just do it and figure it out afterwards. Whatever you got to do after, you do after. Who cares? And you know what? I just that that's what I want to see from this team. Be proactive, don't be reactive. One C should be the the focus. I don't know if they're gonna get anywhere close to that. I, I don't see a Zegris thing happening at the deadline. That'd be an off-season kind of thing. If that is indeed uh, true that they're shopping them, but I don't know. I don't know where this team is going to do, uh, you know, do what they're going to do. Not sure. Well, <clears throat> on that note, I think we'll call it a day here. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I want to go up uh, Sunday. We'll be back. I don't know. who will be back here and on the show next week, but there will be people on the show next week. Don't you worry about that. Plenty of stuff on the website, burlypuck.com at Dan the Flyer Fan at Burley Puck at Burley underscore pod. Uh, Dan the Flyer Fan underscore jerseys over on Instagram. Check that out. And uh, stay tuned for updates on Flyer Side Chat. I'll leave it at that for now. And uh, Mike, where can people find you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Flyer underscore AF. And Manny. At Manny Benavidez. And as always, brotherlypuck.com. Don't tell me Shane got shanked in prison, did he? Not yet, no. Okay. <laughs> God bless, Shane. We're thinking of you. All right, everyone. Until next time, goodbye and good night.